I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number one. Welcome to the first ever Life in Dub podcast, a new series of in-depth interviews with people who have lived their lives in dub and reggae. My name is Steve Vibronix, and every two weeks I'll be inviting a different guest onto the show to talk about their experiences of living a life in music. I'll be talking to artists, producers, sound system operators, promoters, the whole range of people that make up this amazing scene that we love so much. You'll also be hearing a little bit about my life in dub and reggae, some of what I get up to in the studio, and some tales of my travels. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and visit the podcast website www.lifeindub.com and feel free to email me at vibronics at gmail.com with any comments or suggestions for the show. So why did I start this podcast? I've always loved hearing about the people behind the music and learning about their lives. I'd hosted a few public interviews at the United Nations of Dub Weekend up in North Wales a few years ago. Some of you might have even been there. And I've been thinking about doing some more. And on my long walk to the studio the last couple of years, I developed a real love for podcasts. And even in a world where there seemed to be hundreds of new podcasts starting all the time, there really wasn't anything that dealt with the sound system dub and reggae scene that I really love. So I decided to start Life in Dub. And here we are at episode number one. But enough of me, because this podcast is all about the guests. So let's get on with the show. My first guest is Keaty Roots. Keaty is a musician, vocalist, producer, record label owner. I've been a big fan of his music since the 1990s, so it was a great honour to visit him in his East London studio. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. So... Mm. Keaty Roots, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Yeah. How you doing, man? It's all good. Yeah, all good. yeah. So here we are in uh, East, East London. You call it East, East London? London? Yeah, East Dam. East London, yeah. My, my dad was brought up like literally two streets away. Right. Oh, from here? Yeah. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. full East Ham, East Ham connection. Regional Cockney. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, so what we're going to do is just have a bit of a chat about like, mm. you know, life and growing cool, up and cool. music and everything like that. But what, what I want to do mm-hmm. is, uh, is I want to ask mm. each guest like a couple of the same questions. And one of the questions I want to ask every guest yeah. is, can you name a song that you listen to that song and after that there was no going back? And mm-hmm. it can be something you heard last week, something you heard years ago, but yeah. one that you heard. And from when you heard that, everything changed. And like, tell me something about that if you can. Mm-hmm. Well, um... You know, for me, it was uh, one of the most profound songs I've ever heard is I'm a Levi, Ija Man Levi, you know. Um, I remember when Shaka played it in the dance, I don't remember where I heard it, but I remember... You heard it on the sound system. Yeah. You know, this tune's got this kind of spiritual energy about it, you know. And Ija Man, he's a very spiritual um, writer and singer, very much, you know. And that song, you know, it, 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 I don't know, it just, it hit me. It just hit me, and it's just always been with me, you know. Um, it's just got the lyrics and the music. Yeah, it's everything about the song. It's a very spiritual. I think the song's about his spiritual journey and who he is in place and time where he's where where he was at at the time when he wrote it, you know, spiritually, and it, it connected with me. And in terms know? of you hearing it, so where were you when you heard it then? Where I was, 
I was actually uh, I was I was brought, brought up in a Pentecostal church, you know. You know, my mom's a devout Christian, you know what I'm saying? And so um <laughs> from back about the womb, you might as well say I, I was transported straight into church, you know what I mean? So I grew up with that um church vibes, you know what I mean? Um as a child, trying every excuse not to go, you know what I mean? But reaching um my teens, I I grew to sort of like going to church and getting in touch with my spirituality, you know what I mean? And so with Roots Music, that's what sort of connected me to Roots Music in a sense, because um, that, that same spiritual energy is there, you know what I'm saying? The biblical content in the lyrics and stuff, you know? That's what connected with me, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's, no, um, there's no Roots Reggae without that like Caribbean, like churchy cool No, kind of because that's the culture for us, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, um, church is... Is a massive part of um, Caribbean culture. You know what I mean. So if we look at growing up. You're talking culture. about like growing up. So you, you you're born here in the UK. Yeah, I was born here in the UK in um, Yorkshire. I'm a Yorkshireman, born in a place called Lower Houses in Huddersfield. You know, it's a little hill. <laughs> there's a little hill. If you anyone goes to Huddersfield, there's a a castle on a hill. You know, you just look. There's a little hill and there's a castle up there. That's where I was. I was brought up. And how does it's got its own history of reggae? In yeah, world, yeah, it? it's a very rich um, um, re- reggae little town, you know. It's um, there a, a club called Cleopatra, you know, on on a road called Venn Street. Some people call it Venn Street, you know. But that club um, hosted some of the best sounds in the world. You know what I mean? Some of the biggest dancers, little town like Huddersfield, but. The, it was a massive club, you know. And what yeah, I mean, you were you were going to dances in Huddersfield, or had um, you moved to London by? No, no, not when I. Came to London, age of eleven, so I was still a kid. You know what I'm saying? I was, I, I was the age of climbing trees and running around the fields and stuff. You know what I mean? That 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 was my childhood. But I came to London at eleven, so um, my musical journey really started when I came to London. And what, what about me? What what kind of music do you remember hearing when you were growing up? And like anything that you made sort of some connection with? Or okay, um, well, growing up. Um, you know, my dad used to play Blue Beat, like Elvis Presley, Jim Reeves, you know, like the stylistics, Motown stuff, you know what I mean? That was the kind of stuff that, that I was hearing, you know? Um, my journey into reggae music now was my big brother, because my big brother now, he's uh, four, about four years my senior, and he started collecting records very early. He, he started from, he was like 10, 11 years of age, you know what I mean? And... Um, so, um, yeah, he used to... So you're, you're hearing it in the house? You're hearing yeah, it in the house. house as a child. Like, from, I'd say from um, sort of uh, six, like six years of age, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm hearing reggae music. My brother's bringing, you know, he's bringing. And the good thing about him, you know, he would always explain. He'd probably sit down and explain to me what, you just bought this record, what the record is and the whole vibe of the record, you know? Because when you say you bought a record, that, that's like some golden age of reggae yeah, as well. Yeah, it really then. was. It was really happening then. Yeah, because weekend time was just a journey to the record shop. And the whole thing for me was like, I used to sit there and I, I understood it even at a young age. And I was, I was anticipating, what's he going to bring back? You know what I'm saying? Because he'd always bring the records back and explain the whole journey, you know, that he just went on. And then he finally got this record and he came on with it. So it became exciting to me, you know? Every time you left to go record shop, it was exciting. You know what I'm saying? Well, they say it's like a gold, there was so much amazing music. Yeah, that's then, the thing. It was all new and fresh as well. Yeah, it was so fresh. And like I said, it was for me, it was amazing. I remember he bought um, Rastaman Vibration. That's the 
maybe the first LP that I, I sat and listened to. I must have been about, I don't know, I probably was about eight or something. But Russellman Vibration LP, like from the sleeve to the music, it was amazing. And, and, and can can you say there's a point where you kind of realised that like music was something special for you, and maybe more important to you than some people around you, for instance? Um, I uh, as I as I grew older, you know, there are different um, social issues that start affecting you, innit? You know what I mean? I mean, for me, like. Racial issues were affecting me from I was a little child from I started school, tell the truth. You know what I mean? I was getting abused racially and stuff like that. Growing up in Huddersfield, that yeah. must have been a So it, it grew me up fast. It made me understand that, you know, life is not just as we see, but there, there are other elements, hatred and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I learned that early. So that's the thing. When I started listening to the records, you know, that energy of, of um, protest... And some singing of liberation and stuff like that. I, I got it. I got it. And, um, you know, some records talking about burn Babylon and the vibes of Babylon, like the wicked, corrupt, you know what I'm saying? And that, there, there were some, there, that kind there, of thing. there were like big releases then as well. Cause like, Massive. it's not like now, whereas though in those days, they were like sort of, I wouldn't say commercial, but they, but they had, they had a lot of success and you, you, you know, it was a big thing then. I think, um, I think that the, the, the vibes was, was, uh, that vinyl record thing, innit? You know, music was a lot more special then because music was always something that you could hold in your hand, innit? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It, you connected with it physically as well as spiritually or whatever. Lee. Yeah, see, you, you had, you had you know to kind mean? of go on a journey to get it, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, like that's the thing. thing. It was, yeah, I mean, like the, the whole thing of, um, I mean, like, you couldn't really hear reggae music on the radio and stuff like that, innit? So the record shop, was the order of the day, literally. You know what I'm saying? Like the record shop was your your your, your um, education into it and everything. Then sound systems. You know what I mean? It was. And you're talking like local record shop. Like, yeah, because you're not travelling far to the shop. No, because there was always a local record shop, but then there was always local sounds, so it all connected. You know, you you go to um, parties, blues parties. You know, little shabims. There's always a shabim around the corner where you had little diff- different sounds um, playing. And um, I think everybody's education into the whole thing was through the um, sound systems. And then obviously what you hear, you'd go and look for in, in the record shops in the week. So, um, yeah, that's the thing. It was all more organic and connecting and social. You know, it was more of a... Now, you know, you just people just go online and click a button and... You know what I mean? But um, the record shop was like a little social gathering. But also, you know I guess... I mean? My, my kind of interpretation of it is it, it was a bigger scene then as well. There was more people into it. Well... Um, and, and amongst young people as well. I think it, it, place and time is what I have to say. It's place and time. Generation. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm plus 50 there. You know what I mean? I didn't even say what, what number plus. But um, at, at that time, we were the youth of the day. You know what I'm saying? And uh, the um, format of the day was vinyl records. It was trendy. It was everything, innit? I mean, in the 70s, all music was recorded professionally, you could say. There was no bedroom studios. And 
Yeah, there, there was no what, 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 what do they call it? Like, like <laughs> sort of not even projects to you. There's another yeah. name, pre-projects. To yeah, you. even pre-projects or whatever. There was none of that. I mean, everything was done professionally, isn't it? So you know, the, the, the music scene was, you could say, a lot bigger then as well. You know what I'm saying? But then it was place and time, as I say. You know, with reggae music, reggae music was was uh, young. So when it comes you know? to music, because I, you know, we're sitting here in your studio, which is like, you know. I've been listening to music that's come out of your studio for mm. like, you know, I guess 30 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, why did you get into the studio? What, what was all that about? Because <sighs> uh, it's okay. not for everyone. No, it's, it's not for everyone. I think, you, you, it's, I think it's the kind of thing you're called to do, in a sense. You know, you're called to do. If, you, if you're someone that's been doing over um, spanning decades, then it's something that you're called to do because it's not, and do you, do you remember when you first went to a studio and what, what it was like? Yeah. What I can do is explain how I got into it and then I'll, I'll explain that. Um, as said, first Shaka dance was when I was 14. There's a club called Cubies in Dawson. Yeah. Followed my brother and his brethren. You know what I mean? My brother's always telling me for all these years about Shaka, you know. But I felt like the time was right now. I felt like I could... Um, you know, play a trick on my parents and sneak out. <laughs> I thought I could get get away with it, you know. So um, I I done that one night, you know, and I went went to Cubies Dawson. Um, Shaq was playing. Quaker City was supposed to play with him. Quaker didn't turn up that night, I'm, and I'm glad because the music Shaq played. Shaq on his own. My word, I mean, it was profound. Something that I'd never experienced in my life. It was something new, fresh to me. You know what I mean? Very what, spiritually what kind of uplifting. Age were you then? I was fourteen. I was 14 then. I should have been in my bed, to tell the truth. But um, nah, I mean, it was a liberating experience for me, you know? Like I said, I was a biblical youth already. And the way Shaka plays, very spiritual kind of vibe. And it was just amazing. It changed my life, really. Because that defined me from then. It was just like, yeah, this is me. This is my direction. But how do you go for that? That's like your love of music. But how do you go from that into uh, wanting to get into the studio? Okay, right. There was a, a version of mine. Um, called Jaleni he was an avid Shaka follower you know what I mean from Ilford side we used to live in a place called Manor Park and Lenny would li- lived in Ilford literally he had to pass Manor Park to go anywhere basically from Ilford so anyway um, you know we used to link up and go to Shaka dances basically and one day Lenny he came around with this um, guitar bass guitar had three strings on it that's the first time I realised he was a musician and so he was. He explained to me, yeah, yeah, this is what he does for fun and stuff. He, um, the multi instrumentalist, and um, he he played the guitar, man, to one of Shaka's records. That he just blew my mind. I thought to myself, he can do that, yeah. I think before that, music is just other people do. Yeah, that's, that's right. I never connected it with myself. No, I didn't even like music in school. Funny enough, I used to bunk <laughs> music lessons, you know, but um. When I saw him play that guitar, the bass, to one of Shaka's tunes, man, it, 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 something in me just said, you can do that. You know what I mean? So I just started practicing. And that's how I practice. I, I, I would just um, play along to records and stuff. You know what I mean? And it was all natural progression from there. Because from there, I would link up with Lenny. You know, go, go down his yard. He had, he had all these instruments, man. He had drums, everything. And so we just jam for hours on end. You know, we would just jam. We jam and we jam and we jam. 
And um, it just grew. And, and it, it is hours, grew. isn't it? Because especially when you're young, hours and it's like the end, amount I mean, of time you can spend just jamming. Yeah, and just kind it, of... the time when we stopped is when you know your parents are coming and saying, "Stop the noise now! It's over. You go home." You know what I mean? It's one of them things. That's where you put down the tools. You know what I mean? But um, beautiful days, and you know we just play. And like I said, the, the curiosity for different instruments start to grow. You know what I mean? From from that, I started um, attending jam sessions. The good thing in East London, you had these really good jam sessions where um, once a week or twice a week sometimes, um, musicians would gather in the youth centres and we yeah, just we had the same kind of play. thing in Leicester and you get some like top, top musicians. Oh man, some and, great... And like, a, like a drummer with a drum kit and yeah. it's like I can actually play with a Some drummer. real great people used to pass through these um, jam sessions, you know, and um, that's how we learned because, you know, you just... Um, and some real nice guys, you know, they'll teach as well, you know what I mean? If they see that you had, you know, you... you um, you sounded promising, they, 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 they give you a hand, you know what I mean? So, um, from attending the jam sessions and learning to play different instruments in the jam sessions, it was only natural progression for me to want to start recording. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're know? listening to the records, I guess, yeah. and probably thinking like, how are these made? Yeah, and that's the like... thing. I remember I saw, and I, I don't remember the year, but, um, there was a, a program called Rock School. Dennis, Dennis Bovell was on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think Slime Robbie were on there at one yeah, point. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, and... Yeah, I don't remember what year that was. I can't remember the year, but... Yeah, early 80s it was. But um, Bovell was... You know, he was showing how you build a rhythm. You know? One man build a rhythm in a studio, you know? And I think he played the... Um, I think he actually played the bass first, you know? Yeah. Um, Free by Mice, it was... Dum, 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 dum. Yeah, and man, that was a profound thing. He just played the bass and then he just over it's, it's, the drums. When, when you see it happen in front of you, yeah. that, that's when it's right, that's how they do it. That's it kind it. of penny and drops. It, it, yeah, it just stuck in my mind. Like, he done it so well, you know? He just built the whole rhythm and then dub mix time, dub mix time, you know? And that just stuck in my mind. And I thought, yeah. So from there, it was just, Natural progression from there. Just, you know, where do I get the gear from? Did you, do you remember you know? going into a studio and seeing like some recording? Or... Yeah. My first um, um, recording session was with my brethren Lenny and um, a few other guys. And we booked, um, we booked um, a studio. Them days, nearest Joseph. Nearest Joseph was kind of the, the vocalist. Big, yeah, he was the big guy around. He he was with Fashion Records, and he was always coming back and showing us what what what, what work he'd been doing with fashion and stuff. You know what I mean? Like the recording business, you know. So we was always curious about this whole fashion business and, and he the recording came back with studio. Stories of and he yeah, was he working yeah. with Gussie P then? Yeah, maybe? that's right. Yeah. yeah, but he Nearest was part of the jam sessions. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he, he was a, a big part of me learning to play drums as well. People don't they think the musicians on the records. They mm. live in another world. Yeah, but, but there's a connection right through. There's so a you connection. Get your jam, people living yeah. next door. And yeah. Like. So we're hearing about the recording business going on. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so me and my brethren, we booked at this studio in um, in Woolwich at the time, I remember. Um, eight-track studio. It was a half-inch eight-track reel they had up there. I don't remember the disc. But we booked it and um, we went up there 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, till six. We had um, eight hours. And um, we're there, set up and everything. Where's the drummer? 12 o'clock comes, no drummer. 
Grandma didn't turn up. Meanwhile, the meter's running. And the yeah, clock's ticking. the clock's ticking, mate. And so, um, you know, my, Lenny, Lenny, Lenny knew a bit about drums. You know what I mean? So we just made good at the time, man. But that drummer, he didn't know. He he done us all a favor, ten truth, because it just opened our mind. You know what I mean? And uh, we got some recording done that day, and that was a real profound time you, for me. It was and, the first do, time. Do you remember what it was? Because I, I remember when I was young, going mm. in the studio, and it being, and I was playing in like a band. Mm. And I could tell it meant more to me than everyone else. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by it. Like, this is how you make records. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 um, from, it wasn't the recording process that time with the studio because I was just more a player. I just love to play bass. Any reason to play my bass guitar, you know? You know what I mean? So anyway, we got that recording done. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, it wasn't really that, that well to the truth, but um, we got it done. We moved on from there. The, the recording thing, like I said, you know, um, I just started to uh, collect gear. My, my mate Lenny, he was collecting gear from time. He had a little mixing console. Because it wasn't and easy he, getting the knowledge back then. No, it either, wasn't. Was it, it wasn't. It's not like now, you just look it no, up. But I, I, I he, you know, he showed me, you know, he had this little four-track machine, you know what I mean? So there was a, a shop called Nottingham Music Exchange. I think most of us will know that shop, man. That shop was heaven. You know what I mean? When I found that shop, secondhand music everything equipment. kicked off from there, man, because now I could get all the gear. You know what I mean? So I went not in all, picked up this this um big yellow mixing desk, man. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it. Big massive knobs on it, you know? Yeah, it's about tall channels. And um and uh that, that that's where sort of my recording started because um I never had any sort of multi-track. Then I just had this, this boogie box tape recorder thing. So I'd just be doing overdubs. Like mono to mono. Yeah, track mono, on mono, track mono overdub thing. stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was so noisy, but it wasn't even about that. It was just about actually um, achieving that multi track recording. You know what I'm saying? So, them days, I'd have my drum machine. Sometimes I'd play the drum kit. And then I'd just record that and then just overdub. Just live overdubs. You know what I mean? You know? And um, it just grew from there. It just grew from there. Um, things got better. I got a four-track, uh, four-track uh, quarter-inch machine. And um, once you get a four-track, yeah. you can plug it into your that's desk when it and all you can started. start dubbing. And... Yeah, that's when it all started from there, really. That's when that's when my sound got good. I've got the Grampian, is it six? Lee Perry Grampian Reverb. Yeah, I've got one of them from... From Notting Hill and H and H Echo, and that's when that's when Key to Roots started churning out dubs from there, man. So when so <laughs> Key Roots becomes, you've got a bit of confidence and you've started to build some rhythms and stuff. And it's like yeah. my my first sort of connection with what mm. you're doing is Black Legacy label mm. and buying um, African Blood on the twelve inch mm-hmm. um, and just playing it every day. Because it was like, because it, it's, it's a great track because it's so catchy. Well, and it, but it, but it's, this lyrical content is extremely deep, but also like the bass and the rhythm, everything about it is kind of, it's just, yeah, it's just, just a, a great, great release. And I remember buying that and playing it a lot. And that, that I probably bought that like early 90s. So at some point, I guess you made a transition from I did. messing I, around to yeah, getting I did. to this. I got serious because um, I was really serious with, uh, about the whole thing. You know, I was trying to build a band them days and, it was just getting 
people to be as serious as you're finding people that was as serious as I was. You know what I'm saying? That's how I really started recording because I just couldn't get people to turn up and spend the time. You know what I mean? So I started finding ways of how I could do it myself. To fast track, the first drum I had, I actually created a drum with two, two mics. One on the floor, and that was my kick. And another one on um, a chair. <laughs> that was my snare, you know? And so I put a plastic bag on the table, and that, just, that was my hat, you know? But it actually worked. It was a bit crazy, but it actually worked. I mean, I got a sound out of it. It's a sound. And yeah, playing I created a, a sound, that, and I actually created a drum that I could now play the bass to. You know what I mean? And it was, that was just... That's like mind-blowing stuff. Yeah, well, at you? that time, that, that was everything for me, you know? But, you know, obviously, you know, you, um, you get a job, innit? Your time comes, you get a, a reasonable job where you get a reasonable pay, and then all your money just goes into gear, basically. You know what I'm saying? That's it, because in those early days, yeah. it's like, I mean, it's, it's hard, even if you do it, like, full-time and everything, it's hard to, like, earn enough money to live off it. In those days, when you're yeah. starting out, you, no, one's, no one's earning a penny. No, it was difficult, but uh, funny enough, I, I, I always had reasonable jobs, you know, as a kid, you know what I mean? Like, you know, at reasonable jobs. And the good thing, this is where real black culture comes in, kicks in. We used to have a thing called pardner. This is a, a sort of tradition from the Caribbean where people get together and put money into a pot. Every week, somebody takes the content of that pot. You know, and everybody gets their turn. That's um sort of a Caribbean culture, you know. And, you know, I was always part of these things, you know, that, that enabled me to to get the money to get to and buy this is, gear. This is through the church. No, and that's not a church. It's just a cultural thing, a general cultural community thing, Caribbean community thing, where everybody knows they're struggling, they need to get ahead. So it was like a like a, a community bank, you could call it. Yeah, in actual fact, what is credit union now? What is credit union now? Started with this partner, Caribbean partner thing. That's what grew to credit union. So there's a bit of history there, you know. But it was a profound thing because it enabled families to, to move forward, you know? And somebody must have put you forward or you put yourself yeah, forward. My parents, like, yeah, my parents. My parents. This is a talented youth. and Well, no, it wasn't that. It was, I just, at that time, with this whole music thing, nobody understood what I was doing. I was just making noise. When, when are you going to get family. a proper job? You know what I mean? It was like, well, I, I always had to work. I mean, in, in our household, there wasn't no, you're not working and you're sitting down all day long. That, that, that just weren't happening. My dad, get up, go, go find a job, mate. You know what I mean? So we all worked. It just, the order of the day to go and work, there was no dole. You couldn't talk about dole and stuff. What's that? Go and get a job. So, you know, for me to do music, it meant all night um, recording and then take my sleepy self and go to work. But there was no, you're not going to work. So the ethics of that was good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which helped me because, um, I was able to sustain, sustain myself in some way financially with the little money that I was earning. And it's a bit of a test of like, how serious are you? Because mm. like, everyone loves music when they're young. Yeah. There's only a few people that really want to stay up all yeah. night and then yeah, that's jeopardise their day. That's why work. I said earlier, it's a calling. Like, it's something that you're called to do, you know? Because there are many people that, that fall by the wayside, you know, as time goes on. And for me, uh, many times I've been left on my own, like with brethren's, They've gone off and done all other types of stuff. You know what I mean? Got involved in family life and just settled into that and just work home, family, you know, and that's a beautiful thing for them. So for me, but for me, my time was going into recording and 
but and that's the words time as well. Is yeah, it's it? it's, time. It, you can't do it in five minutes. No, it's no, it's a it's a it's, it's a it's a lifetime it? thing. It's a liberty thing because it becomes your reality. You know what I'm saying? For me, it was my reality. Literally, like I was consumed with it. It was something that I had to do, and sometimes didn't know how what progression was for tomorrow, but I knew that I was gonna. You know, what you know what I'm saying? I was gonna learn by the day, by the the month by the year and just get on get better it's like know? determination isn't it yeah it was it's one of them things and that's why I knew I was called to do it and because that, sometimes with these things it's only when you look back and you think well actually I was quite determined because at the time you're just doing it it's yeah. like I just love music and I want to do it because um, all my brethren you know they got money to go out and rave and stuff like that I didn't half <laughs> time I didn't have any money all my money's gone into gear you know, you know what I'm saying I didn't really have um, the money for flash clothes and stuff like that the flash clothes money was in gear you know what I mean? And I wouldn't have had it any other way because it's something I loved. You know what I mean? You know? And it's, I mean, there's always expensive gear to get. And yeah. We were just talking earlier on about all this amazing yeah. gear and you're obviously upgrading the studio. Yeah, but yeah. especially back then, yeah. it was more expensive. It, well, you know, in actual fact, yeah, but there was some... Remember, we're talking about... We're, we're talking about the times when stuff was just being created. So I'm talking about a time when the simps were just being done, created. When I started, there was no M1 or W30 or anything like that. They, wasn't, they weren't made yet. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, it was all... First of all, it was Hammond, the organs and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, fast organic stuff, man. Kind of stuff. Yeah. But as time goes on, we're talking about the 80s. That's when um, multi effects um, machines were starting to get created and stuff like that. So... We were there when it were all when it was all getting created. Drum machines just started to be made. Do you know what I mean? Overheim just turned up with the sequential drum tracks and stuff, the DX eight, eight bit machines and stuff. You know, it, they just turned up late eighties, you could say. So once you so you, you've been made, so you've you've started to get your head around the music, mm. and, and and so when when did that music first start being unleashed on the public? All right, let's let's we're gonna put it like that now. When my music started to take real form. Is um, like I said, I was on four track. Um, I can't remember the drum machine I had at the time, but I was doing some four track stuff. My quality was getting better and better. Um, I linked up with Tenastalin, great Tenastalin, you know, yeah, great, great vocalist, amazing great vocalist, singer songwriter, you know, arguably the best writer, you know, from 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 UK, you know. And um, I, I met him somewhere around the mid eighties. Yeah, and he started voicing on my tunes, and that's when my music really started to sound like something. That you know what I mean? Because it just it's a full yeah, thing. When you, when, you, when you got a voice like that on, yeah, on, you, you realize it's it inspired like, me. Oh, okay, I can see how my, my music was like part of it, and yeah. now it's been taken to a new it's level. Taken to a new level now, and it's sounding like because it sounded like a record now. That's and, the one, and so that. Now, um, you know what I'm saying? It, it grew me with my engineering skills and everything because I had to get better at engineering to get it to sound right. You know what I mean? To get, to, get the music to incorporate the vocals properly. You know what I mean? So, you know, I started learning from, from the tunes we've been voiced on. I really started to learn a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. That's when things really started to, um, to move. And from that now, Sound systems started to be connected. At that point, I was linking up with a, a studio called Vibe Studio in Leighton, a bridging called Blacker. 
Black was doing the same thing as me. He came from the same sort of direction, you know, where back in the day we were doing this little thing and, you know, with the over jobs with the with the tape recorders, you know. So alongside my my journey, he was there doing it as well, you know. And so, but he 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 moved on. He moved on and he he created this um, recording studio, you know. With, I think it was a Soundcraft 800B desk he had um, at the time. And yeah, man, at that time he had a beautiful studio. So we used to go up there, and that's when we start connecting with sound systems, you know. So this is when people are hearing. Because I remember when I started, I, I I didn't ever think it was ready enough to pass on to the sound. So I yeah. always wanted it played on the sound Yeah, you system, never really know. Like, oh, my, my yeah, you don't know. Bit, yeah, yeah, you're not sure. Yeah. You're not sure. Yeah, that's the thing. But you see, um, with Vibe Studio now, he started offering that the studio commercially. So one of the clients was um, Jawaria, Steve. You know what I mean? Steve would come down and... And buy some of the dubs, you know what I mean? Like buy some of the dubs that, that we were doing, and that's a, that's how I knew that. And that. Those things give you confidence. Yeah, when yeah. someone else says like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is great." Yeah, but I just, well, not forgetting my big brother. One thing about him, ever supportive of me, man, and he was always cutting my dub plates. Funny enough, is this for his own sound? Yeah, yeah. He had um, he didn't have a sound then. He used to have a sound called Bushman back in the day. You know what I mean? But Bushman sound was a type that this is the inception of me and sound system Bushman. But at that time I wasn't doing any production. I was kind of 16, 17 and I wasn't doing any production stuff then yet. I was playing, but not recording. And, um, that's where my sound system connection come from. I was a youth man in that sound. You know what I mean? Coming up in the ranks, you know, from um, lifting box to wiring box to, to one day picking up the mic. You know what I mean? But, um, my brother, he was cutting the, the little stuff I was doing on the cassettes there. He, he he went and cut a few of them, man. You know what I mean? And and um, that's really when I I started thinking, well, maybe maybe they do sound all right, you know? You know what I mean? So at some point, you know what I'm saying you made like a transition to, yeah. to 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 your first release was on Black Legacy on your own label, or someone else put something out. It, it, no, it was on the Vibes, the same studio Vibes recordings there, um, where. Let me not fast track too far. I'm going to try and tell the whole story. Get the whole story. When Steve Jawaria, they were called Humble Lion that them days. It wasn't Jawaria, it was Humble Lion. Um, when he, he came, he, he'd be buying some of the dubs and I started building dubs for him as well. That's what, so these things sort of fine tune me as a musician because now I was doing a multi-track sessions, playing the drums, bass, gits and keys. You know what I mean? You know, and he would come and he would hum a bass line, blah, 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 you know? <laughs> Steve's and then, vibe. And then you're going to the sessions and hearing them being played. Yeah, well. and then he'd go that, and play that, them, man. That's then, a big thing. That was a massive yeah, thing for me. Yeah, yeah, just to hear yeah. my own rhythms on the sound to, system. I started hearing the stuff. And then you start, also the engineer thing kicks in of like, ah, I need to make the kick yeah, more like this. And because you see, Steve had sound system now. He had built a sound. You know what I mean? So he wasn't wasting none of the dubs. Like anything he cut, Go and play that. So you know, and he was playing all the other sounds, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was quite busy. He was out there doing his thing. But he had the one away dubs, you know, that me and Blacker was doing. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, he, man. He, he still got them. Sessions think? were good. You know the truth of the matter, mate? Only I think only Steve's got these <laughs> things right. I know he's sold off some of them, but he's got some of the some of the history, man. He really has. You know what I mean? Like 
And he's a, you know, he's a guy that loved loved it, man. He's a passionate guy. Yeah, he's, definitely. Yeah, he, especially when I started my label, my Scoops label, he really yeah. helped me a lot and introduced yeah. me to some people and yeah, some, yeah, yeah. linked me up with some artists and stuff. Mm. So yeah, yeah. For we used sure. to be shocked. This white guy turns up and you, and you can see the seriousness in him. He just like was on with going with it, you know? So anyway, the first real sort of dub plates, good quality, was being sold out of Black Legacy, Jatrinity. You like Gloucester? Yep, Jatrinity. Um, yeah, Milton and Terry Gadd, you know? There were some militant guys, you know? They used to come up and play in Leicester and yeah. they always had like the energy. Yeah, and they loved my dubs. I mean, they were one of the first sounds that, that played Keith Roots dubs. You know what I mean? You know, even before it was called Black Legacy, they they had some of my tunes. You know what I mean? Um, Intebi as well. The early days, I'm talking about Intebi sound. You know, they 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 used to come down and get dubs. And as you said, it was going to them dancers and listening, charging my batteries with this thing. Man, maybe you understand. Maybe I am relevant. You know. Maybe I can do it. Maybe people... It's like confidence because you, know? you start... I mean, I, I know I started from like zero confidence. Yeah. And it's like when you... These little stages along the way, mm. they help build it up and then... It really did. When I heard them, these guys playing the dubs, it, that's when it, it really dawned on me, you can do it. Yeah, and people actually like what you do, you know? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like I said, everything... We're all relevant. Everyone that passes through your life in one stage or the other is relevant. To your growth, you know what I'm saying? That's it, because even like, you know, because you're a bit like me, you mm. spend a lot of time on your own in the studio yeah, and build yeah. stuff, and like a lot of producers build stuff on their own, but yeah. even the people who are making the music on their own, there's a whole load of people around them. You, yeah. n- nothing happens in isolation. No, that's the thing. In, in, in your isolated state in the studio, but there's all this real support around you, really. And if you stop to think sometimes, I mean, like, you know, in hindsight, when we think now, nah, you know, we're grateful for, for all these people that were there. You know what I mean? Because, you know, when you you finally reach a stage where you, you thought you'd done something that was um, good enough to present to someone, there was someone there to present it to, isn't it? Yeah, and also, I think <laughs> you it's know like, you know? it's people buy your record and yeah, yeah, Keechee Roots, it's mm. I love his tune, this is wicked. But mm. it's like to make that jump to being the tune being yeah. released, yes. quite a lot of helping hands along the way. Yeah, there is. You know, there's a lot of support. Like I said, you know, it, it would take me all day long to, to, to tell the full story, you know what I mean? Like, talking about my parents who, who had all the patience in the world with me, you know what I mean? Like, my dad, he dug out, we had this basement and um, he, he he went and dug out the whole foundation of the thing and concreted it and gave me some space to go down there and do my nonsense because it was sometimes Was nonsense. that because you were driving him crazy in the house? <laughs> Not just that, but he knew, you know, he wasn't a man that talked much, but what I got to understand, he, he knew that I was serious about it. So rather than him telling me to stop the noise, he went and done that. That that was love. Because he knew this boy ain't going to stop this thing. This he, something he wants to do. Let me give him the space to do exactly. it. Exactly, he's given the space to do yeah, it. Because that's, that's what stops a lot of people is, it's think, space. is, is time to do it, but it also somewhere to do it. Because at times I, I spent many times being guilty because I'm making all this stuff. I'm looking, oh, oh no, everyone's in the front of the car, listening to the TV. Like I'm playing this flipping drum kit. You know what I mean? But the... That basement, it gave me that space, gave me that time. You know, he's he's passed now. You know, God rest his soul. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So if we yeah. like move, move things forward a bit to like you starting to release music and right. what, what what I just wonder what because people are going to be interested to hear what it was like setting up a label and how things were maybe a bit different back then as well. Okay, 
the Vibe Studio Link blacker, the engineer musician, is where this whole thing really starts. Blacker was a very enterprising guy, you know, very business-minded, very enterprising. You know what I mean? He was a big inspiration for me because he was just a, a doer. He, he, he never talked. Anything he talked, he'd manifest it. You know what I mean? He was deep like that. And he was a young guy. He had an old head, you know, and it inspired me. Um, he um, got, a, this is where it all started. He got a dub plate cutter and started cutting dubs. When nobody had, you know, you got a mono dub cutter at that time. There's only a handful of people had these things like Tubby's music ass. And he got one. He had one in his front room, man. You know what I mean? So that means things start happening. And there, things yeah. really started happening because the dub plates now, building tunes, cutting them on dub, natural progression, release tunes. Because we were linked with Music House as well. When you, when you can see it, especially in those days when you're cutting mm. things, I mean, people of course still cut dubs, yeah. you know, they cut both our music on the dubs, yeah. but when you see it happen there and then, yeah. that's kind of a record as well. It's so a, it's like, thank you. right. Yeah, okay. it's a record. And we were around Music House all the time, people cutting records. So the, it was obvious, time to cut a record. But it's a whole, because I, I remember it being just, okay, you, you can make music, you mm. learn a bit about the studio. Mm. Setting up a label is a completely different discipline, isn't it? Well, it's a whole new learning curve. It, it was, but them days, you know, we were told, just think of a label name, and that's your label now. You know what I mean? Get a logo, and that's your, that's your design. It was, it was me, him, and Tenor. Tenacelin, yeah? And said, yeah, man, we're going to do a record now. This was our first release. The first thing, we had to now decide... What are we going to be called on the on that record label? We didn't have really defined names like that. I didn't really have a... I wasn't key to roots yet. You know what I mean? You know? I don't even think Tedastily was Tedastily yet. <laughs> like, we just had to sort it out. Then we had to define who we're going to be on these record labels. You know what I mean? This and record that, label. And that's a jump, isn't it? It's like realising it really that you're going to become defining. an artist yeah. and, and in public. It was a defining day. I mean, like, when I look back now, that was a real great day because, you know, I had to look within myself and what, what represents me you know but you know my name's Keith Keity <laughs> our roots man you know what I mean so you know what I mean I'm a all the way I'm a roots man so Keity Roots that's how my name come and then that's you, you make that jump and then you're like yeah you're in the public realm yeah and like, I'm Keity Roots now you know what I mean you know I think that day Tenacelin was born as well I think that that time around that time and he decided that's what represented him. You know what I mean? You know? And this is what, <laughs> the late 80s, I no, guess? No, this was um, sort of mid-80s. I think this okay. was about 86, 87. We'd done the tune Commercial Boy and Burial Tonight on the B-side. You know what I mean? Or was it the other way around? And um, that went out on Vibes um, recording label, um, which is Blackers. That was Vibes Studio, Vibes Dub Cutting Studio to Vibes Records on, on a vinyl. You know what I mean? And that was our first record, 12-inch, you know? And then what, because then setting up your own label, because that's like a different entrepreneurial well, thing that's the thing, isn't it? I, I, I never saw myself, I, I, I didn't have aspirations to have a label yet, but I had, my, it was only going to be natural progression because working through Vibes and the whole protocol of how Vibes was working, it was just going to be a matter of time before I, you know, um, attach it to, to myself. You know what I mean? 
And so the time came when I decided, yeah, I'm going to put a tune out. I'm going to put out, put out a seven-inch called Warning to Nastalin on vocals again. I think that was 1989. About 1989, got, that was... it got like a yellow yeah. label. I've, I've got the seven. Yeah, very strange kind of looking. Black I, I, label. I bought it from Barber in Leicester, I think. Yeah. I think, did I get a stamp from, just, just made up a stamp from yeah, yeah, bank? Um, yeah, yeah, what they're like potato yeah, stamp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John Ball, John Ball printing. Yeah, kit, whatever it? sort of jobs. And um, so, yeah, that was the first um, uh, official Black Legacy um, uh, release, you know. Before that was uh, a few releases before that. And how, how did you find, what was it like setting a label? Because it's like I said earlier on, it's a whole new set of like disciplines and like you've got to, produce, you know, you've got to distribute it. You've got to try and, yeah. sell, you've got to, try and sell it to people. And get yeah, it was, um, another one out. it was, it was, well, you see, by the time Black Legacy was formed, um, I was already around the system because I was around the system through vibes. And then we were always that music ass and the whole reggae industry was going through there in a sense, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of been channeled through there. So we, you, you picked up links. I already knew about Jetstar. You know what I mean? I understood yeah, you, Jetstar yeah, already. Yeah, there's, a, there's a network and you, and yeah, you and learn then, who the key There was a way. There was an order. And... Yeah, it, it was like, how do you do a record? And someone will come, oh, that's obvious, mate. You go to a studio, you record your tune, you mix it, you go to Music House, it gets mastered, cut onto a lacquer, it will move from there, it will go to School Road in them days, <laughs> and they will take care of the rest. You'll go to um, Who's Nice Print, and they will do your labels. And that's the order that everybody followed them days. Yeah, and so it's just a way. So it wasn't really a mystery. And then those brown boxes arrive full of records. Yeah, and then the records are there and they're actually yours. But what do you do with them now? You know what I'm saying? I, I remember, um, one time I really do remember African Blood, when I first done African Blood. And um, that was my first, I got brave enough to put myself on the, on, on the vocals, you know? I wasn't really sure. I wasn't sure how people would connect to it. and You know what I mean? But um, Abba was playing on dub by that time. You know what I mean? I hadn't even gone to Abba yet. <laughs> and that was another story and a journey. But, but yeah, African Blood was my first record I voiced and, and put out. I wasn't sure I was apprehensive. As a, and I remember I went to a record shop. I took it to a record shop. I just picked it up from... from um, it was a... It was a Pressing plant on the North Circular, them days. A guy called Bobsy used to run it. And I just picked up my records. I went to a record shop in Brixton, you know. And I remember the guy said to me, who's going to buy that record? That's what he said. He looked at me in my eye and he said, who's going to buy that? Which is the guy in the shop. Yeah. He's behind a car with his just blase self. You know what I mean? And I remember pulling out one record and giving it to him. And he just sort of snatched it off of me and like, as in, like, what's this? And he put it on and then he's there and he just, probably about 40, 50 seconds, he pulled it up and who's going to buy that, he said. It deflated me. I remember just feeling deflated, you know, and like, I just felt deflated. I remember walking up, Acre Lane that time. Of, I guess there's a lot of 
different, very different sounding reggae music in that period. It was, out. it was, there was so much music out there, innit? Yeah, this was, um, I think it was about 1992 that time. 93, that sort of time. But for me, I've deflated. I had 500 records there and that was the first stop. And the honest truth is like, I, I didn't know what tomorrow was going to be, man. I felt so deflated with that. But, um, Thank God there's always been people that like my music, you know what I mean? You know, I went to Supertone and Supertone were cool, you know what I mean? Supertone were cool and they took something, you know, on SOR. And then there was a guy in Southall that time, I can't remember his name, but he had a record stall in a little market, you know. I went and checked him and he took some, yeah, really cool guy, you know, and he, uh, I can't remember his name, Danny, his name was at that time. So that guy was wrong. Because <laughs> did you start well. hearing it on like the bigger sounds? Did you hear like Shaka play it and Yeah. Well, the thing about it, um, that's why I say with Abba, there's a, a whole story and journey yeah, with Abba. That, that's how I got introduced. Yeah, to it. because I, I linked up with Abba about nineteen ninety. About nineteen ninety time, you know, and, and started giving him dubs. You know what I mean? You know? Before that. Um, the main sounds that were playing my tunes were, as I said, Jawaria, um, Trinity, Intebi, really, were the main three sounds. So I, I was hearing my tunes playing out there, you know what I'm saying? But Abba, Abba was, Abba was a different level, you know? He was, um, Abba was like the first sound that extended the whole vibes of Shaka, in a sense. And he was playing basically. It was the old Jartobi's sound, kind of modified, yeah. really. So he had he had the physical sound system yeah. as well in those days. But, like. but Abba now was the representation of us, our generation, in a sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I mean, because I'm in Leicester, you see. Yeah, and Abba Shanti is Leicester. That, that was yeah. my introduction. Yeah, to that's it, right. Totally. That's, that's Cause, his cause, inception. Because like you're in London and you've yeah, got music yeah. house and all these people, and you know we're in country, so yeah, it's yeah. Like a different thing there. Yeah, but Abba, 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 you know, was my personal connection now and. You know what I'm saying? His vibe was, you know, you know, he, he's a man who used to attend Shaka dancers as well. You know what I mean? And, you know, we, we, we're all inspired by something or someone, all of us. There is no one born that is not inspired by, you know, we all, our journey is inspiration from something or someone. You know what I mean? It definitely seemed to come with like, because he had access to like, all the top producers at the time so he's yeah. playing your music and yeah. and playing like Dub Judy's music yeah. and playing Black and Meek's music and playing Dougie's music and like yeah. the selection was like and he just he just fitted that time he, he he just came through at a time when you know in the 80s that 80s decade was a um, a very serious decade because especially with Shaka you know Shaka had his real potency you know like in 70s and early 80s and music started changing from Jamaica do you know what I mean and it started moving the whole wave around you know things just start to change and got the whole technology thing happening Cause, yeah cause that's the thing that, it's like this 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 the way we would do music using yeah. computers and MIDI and yeah. blah 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 yeah. wasn't really possible at the beginning no. of that decade but no, at the end it, it was that it was the rep that revolution yeah because I was very much influenced by like dance music and yeah. stuff because that was using all the same technology and I, I, you know, that was a big thing in my area yeah. that taught me a lot of yeah. like technical stuff. Well, the technology in, enabled a lot of us to, to start producing, funny enough, because like, who could have a big drum kit and big bass stack in there 
in their yard and a big mixing console. You know what I mean? But with, with technology now, we all was able to have these little setups and, and, and start to learn. You know what I mean? But looking back, it's also just holding up on the kind of story of the mm. evolution of it all. It's mm. like, um, Kitty Roots is like a lyricist. Then where, 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 yeah. where does that come from? Because that's what I think of you as as well in terms of an artist as a, as a lyricist. And I, and I, I love lyrics. I um, think I've always been a, at a sort of depth to me, you know? You know what I'm saying? Spiritual depth and kind of social depth and awareness of things, you know what I mean? And word, what about From words young, though? Because you have this craft with the words. I don't know. I think it's just, uh, I, I always, I loved the writers. The records that I bought, it was the real writers, not the head top man, them, the writers, the arrangers. That's what I loved, like Pablo Moses. There were Williams, you know what I'm saying? Twinkle Brothers, you know what I mean? Like, these guys were writers, you know what I'm saying? So I was listening to their music, you know what I mean? You know? I remember um, Twinkle Brothers, since I threw the comb away, <laughs> my word. I mean, his ability to, 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 to take words and make them profound. Especially with... That's why I learned the craft. With, with, with like with words that people can understand on the street yeah. as well, but to, to deal with really quite complicated stuff, that's what fascinates me about... Yeah, music. that's what, what... Well, this is the thing. Like, with Pablo Moses, this is how I, I learned about how to manipulate words, isn't it? Because he would write profoundly. I remember he, he, he wrote a song about love. And he says, um, love is not something you just grab, you know? And you can't put it into a bag. I mean, the way that he put it across, like, these things just, I just love it. Like Thought-provoking. Huh? Yeah, because, you know, his ability to explain the situation and you, the listener, to be able to understand it or or go on a journey to try and understand it. But, you know, not be too far away from what the meaning is, you know? Because there's, there's, there's like a discipline in writing a song because you've got to fit it in just a couple of lines yeah, and, and it's all, you can't just ramble. You just, it's got to fit in a, like a... Well, funny enough, I've always been a good story writer. The one thing I loved in um, school was um, essays, writing story, essays and stuff like that. So it's something I had in me already. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 um, I think I had that ability, you know, already. I, I love art, you know what I mean? And um, I loved writing stories. You know what I'm saying? So when it came to writing songs, all these years, even in the 80s, I could write songs, but I couldn't sing. You know what I mean? Like, I never saw myself even as a singer. I just was scared of that. Man. I didn't want to even like... With, I had tenastalin, voice of my tunes. I mean, I, you know, I was always in awe of him and his power on that mic, you know? You know what I'm saying? And for, for a time, for me, it was like a thing like, I, I, I wouldn't stand in front of a mic. Like, I know great people in front of mics. Like, that's what they do. I, I play and mix. You know what I'm saying? But the time came when I started to feel that vibe, to think, you know something, I, I maybe can do this, you know? I, I tried voicing a couple of tunes and realized it didn't, didn't sound that bad enough. I realized I was able to put words together. You know what I mean? Because that, that, you know? that, that combination, like, of being able to build the rhythms... Mm being able to write lyrics yeah. and sing them. Yeah. It's, it's quite rare to have all of those together because there's certain people who've got, yeah. maybe, they can, maybe they can write lyrics and sing, maybe mm. they can build a studio, maybe they can build a, build a rhythm and write words, but to mm. do them all together. But, but you see, I've had good mentorship. You can, I've, that's the right word to use. I've had good mentorship because I watched Tenor doing it. 
and doing it well. I'm talking about and and churning out song after song. I'm talking about sometimes we've recorded all night and we'd, we'd complete six projects. You know what I mean? Like done, sealed. And so I've had good mentorship with that. I've been, I, will list, I was listening to the prolific songwriters and I was working with a, a damn good songwriter. So by the time I started putting pen to paper, the template was there, the direction, the approach. I had learned already. And obviously, you still write now as well. Yes, like, I do. Like, you know, moving massively forward into yeah. like the sort of current period, then yeah. it's like things like, like the reparations tune oh, was, yeah. was a real big hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's it's not messing around with the lyrics as well. No. It's be- like, a, it's, it's serious on every level, the tune is, but it's also really successful as well. Yeah. I, the, the one thing I understand about songwriting, putting pen to paper and putting the energy out there, you've got an indictment on you to, to, to write something that makes sense and not to mislead people. I really believe that. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I put that on myself, you know? Like, um, if I'm going to say something, let me say something that makes some kind of, 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 of sense that people can actually be uplifted by it or be educated by it. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't waste that. Um, a, a, a bad or dreadful song is a waste of a song. You know what I'm saying? That's why I see it. Like you've got the uh, the rare uh, opportunity of um, having people that actually listen to what you have to say. So say something profound in your time. You know, and, and, and if, that's my uh, thing. How how's the feedback been on on putting a tune like that out and it doing well? As in terms of like it was a big hit, but but also like the lyrical content okay. being, being a lot on the money as well. Is it's like okay? What what kind of feedback are you getting from people? What I got from that 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 um, tune is that truth resonates all through this earth. Like we're all human beings. We're all human beings. We bleed the same. You know what I'm saying? We feel the same. We've got emotions manifested the same. We're all man. You know what I'm saying? So when profound truth is spoken, it touches people all over the world. Isn't it? Because truth is truth. You know what I'm saying? You know, you don't have to be culturally connected to it to understand it. And that's what that, that tune taught me. You know what I'm saying? Because I was just really, um, um, really um, writing a piece of history. That's all I've really done. I've just documented a piece of history through a passage of time. But I just tried to do it as well as I could. You know what I mean? To that's so it. people could get it and understand it. Because the because the the because. It means quite a lot to me because I nearly called my music project yeah. like reparations. Right. But at the end of the day, I thought I can't be a white guy because yeah. it's, 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 it's too deep a thing. But but the, the word it, it's it's a great word, mm. and it and and what it it's dealing with in terms of like mm. in, in in terms of the the sort of legacy of like colonialization yes. and slavery. Yes, yes. Also, the idea that we should pay something back for things we messed yeah. up. There's a lot of powerful stuff in it. Yeah, you know the, I mean? the, the whole thing of excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. So I guess it's like to, to educate a new gen because there's yeah. always there's always new people. That's so ed- the thing. Educate a new generation the of thing people. Is, as time goes on, the passage of time goes on. That's why it's important when we put pen to paper. We need to understand this, you know. Like um, we become the custodians of of, um, of uh, the legacy of of that um, movement. We could call it liberation movement. You know what I mean? 
That's what Black Legacy is all about. I use the word the indictment. This is the point. I, I, and I use the word calling before. When you feel, those that are called, there's a feeling you have. No one's going to tell you you're called to do something. It's something you know because you realise, hold on, I've got the energy to do this. I've got to do this. It's something, it's, comp- it's, and it's, it's going to happen. You're compelled to do it. Even if I don't want to do it. Yeah, you, you, know, you, you, you know. You know you want to do it. but Yeah. And don't matter the opposition, it's something you know in your life, you've got to do that. So for me, it's always been that. You know what I'm saying? And then um, I've had, I've had, I know I've had a call into, I can put words together well. You know what I mean? I, I realise that, you know? Something. So there's a burden, like, and an indictment to do it well and do it where you can educate people, uplift people, try to make some form of change or something. Represent something that makes sense. Yeah, it's like a responsibility. It's yeah, like, you know? It, me and Madhu always call it, like, ed- edutainment as well. Because mm. reggae music should be, That's like, right. you know, people want to go out and enjoy it and dance and mm. listen and stuff. But, mm. but you need something for your, your, your mind yeah. and your soul as well. And you see, th- this is the great thing that, that inspired me with, with Roots Reggae music, you know? You know, people like Burning Spear and greats, man. I mean, like, you know, greats. Isn't it? Very entertaining, but very deep. I mean, when you're sitting in your yard and you're just chilling and listening, there's another experience again from the dance because now it's about the lyrics now. Now it's about, yeah, it's about the beat and the bass and everything, but it's about what, what is he really saying now, isn't it? Because it's now a personal connection now. Especially, you know, when if people, more and more people, because back in the day, people didn't listen on headphones mm. so much. And now no, your right. voice is seriously in people's heads. Yeah, now. yeah, well, that's the, that's the other thing, you know, you know, with technology, but you're actually in the heads of people. You know what I mean? But I feel blessed. Um, I feel fortunate. I feel, I feel blessed that I've got some type of gift that I can impart to people. And my thing is really to be, in a sense, the voice of the voiceless, you could say. You know, I'm coming from a people where we've been marginalised for centuries, like, and put to shut up, literally, and not have a voice. And I believe I've been blessed with, like, some type of gift that I've got some type of voice. You know what I'm saying? So I need to represent who, who never had a voice and who doesn't have a voice. You know what I mean? And now you can see how that has reached far and wide as well. Yeah. Because like it's, when yeah. I think, you know, I was in Leicester, you were in London, but yeah. when we both started, yeah. you kind of sort of thinking a bit locally and stuff. Yeah, you but do. Now, you, you do, you do. If you look at the, like, the reggae scene now. It's global. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I love it. I mean, I love it. I've, the blessing is that, um, you know, through the, the, the gigs that we do and stuff, you know, people from all corners of the earth, you know what I mean? Like, no one knew. I mean, even in the eighties, no one knew it would be a phenomenon of such size and depth. Nobody knew. Like Channel One went to Nepal. I know you've been to some diverse places, man. I mean, it's amazing. But I mean, where reggae music can take you? And in the summer, we we were on the side of a mountain in the Alps. Yeah, the most beautiful place. Oh my word! And then it's like you know, the next week would have been somewhere else. Yeah. and these things were unimaginable when we were I young. Mean, I unimaginable. Think. Like who? How do you ever know? You know, if someone said to you, "You will be on that mountain side," and you know, you'd say, "Really?" You know, I think you need some sort of a pill. Playing on a sound system. Yeah, with people that obviously love what you 
what you're doing as well. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's an amazing thing where it's it's moved on to. You know what I'm saying? But like I said, because there's a, a vibes, there's like a truth in the energy of it all that is going to touch people anywhere. It's been proven. There's a realness about it. There's a beauty about it all, isn't it? That, that touches people and makes them feel good. I think you know? as well, because like it, from the outside, it seems that you play out more mm. now than maybe in the past and travel more yes. than maybe in the past. Yeah, I do. And I know I I love to see how my mm. music and the music I select, yeah, just yeah. Had the effect yes. directly has yeah. on people in the room. I, yeah, I, I enjoy yeah. that. And I, I don't yeah. know what you've what you got to say about that. That's just the same. I mean, like I said, I've been working with, with um, sound systems over the years. Abishati the most, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? And going to Abba dances in, but playing up myself, you know, and actually connecting with the people that, that buy the music is a profound thing. It really is. You know, so you, you know, you, you do a tune and you actually see the, the response of people, not in one place. As you said, we could be in one country this week, <laughs> the next week. Other side of the world. Other side of the world. Um, and the same energy and seeing the same energy. That's the beauty as well. Seeing the same energy thousands of miles apart. I mean, there's a there's there's something profound there, there's something great that And that's something that you, you know? didn't anticipate when no, you were younger. You could never, I mean, you couldn't you could never. For the black youth of the day in the 70s and 80s, that was our you know, music is a vast thing. You got soul, dance soul, you got roots, you got everything. For me, I chose you know what I mean? I chose Roots reggae music. You know what I mean? Dope boys. You know what I mean? And and mainly, mainly the main inspiration was Shaka. Because Shaka was, um, the way Shaka used to play and select, he was like, he had the answers to the issues. You understand that a lot of the black youth, oh, he wasn't only Shaka, you know what I mean? But Shaka was my chosen. There's many sounds, but he was my chosen forum, you could say. You know what I'm saying? And, it just seemed to have answers. That's the point, really. You know what I'm saying? So if it had answers for us, and we didn't know that it would ever transcend past us, that was place and time for us, and this is our reality, and all of this crap going on, all this racism going on, and all of this confusion, social confusion, can't get a job, marginalization, disenfranchisement. The music had the answers. The music took away the anger. Sometimes we were, you know, as you, you're angry when you can't move forward and you're not accepted in the society and stuff like But the music gave us the answers. It calmed us down. It, it made us understand that, you know, we keep our head together and look forward. You know what I'm saying? That's what it done for us. And if it done, for, if it done that for us, there are disenfranchised, marginalized people all over the world. So by natural progression, it was going to touch other people, there's poverty all over this world, isn't it? There's ghettos all over this world. And it was liberating for us, you know, as poor black people, we can call it. When our parents come to this country, they weren't poor. Like, there's a lot of middle-class people turned up here, mate. You know what I'm saying? But the social issues just rendered a lot of people into poverty. Being born here is a different story, it's a different isn't it? different story. You know, there's, too, there's so many issues. But the music was... The answer it kept the whole generation together, you could say, and 
stopped. It, 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 it compressed the anguish and the anger. You know what I'm saying? And all these things, it, you know, and um, that's the whole vibe. If it could have done it for us, it was going to do it for others. And it has. And that's the power and the might in it. And you see that from your travels. Yeah, and, yeah that's yeah. the thing. It, it's going to inspire. Yeah. Because we're, we're fundamentally, we're of a kind, isn't it? <laughs> humankind did it and so we got the same I don't care culturally religiously where you hail from but you're first of all a humankind isn't it and so what touches one man is gonna touch the other and if we haven't learned anything we've learned that no you, you, you put it very well definitely mm. definitely yeah well, I'm going to bring the podcast interview mm. like to a close yeah, now because yeah. uh, we've gone on for like a, a good hour. Yeah, we could go stuff, and <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like with the story, like you know, it's, it's so uh, it's so deep and rich. We we could literally talk forever. We could, you know. Um, but one thing I'm doing, which I was thinking about it last night. I don't know if it's mm. actually the right question to ask people, but I'm trying to ask all of my guests, mm. like. The Book of Darby, you're going to open the Book of Darby and right. your name's going to be there and I'm going to write Keaty, Keaty Roots is going to be there. And what, what, what would you like to be next to that in terms of like, what, what do you see as something you've contributed or just is something you should be known for or, or it's a tune or an event or any, anything like that? Well, I think just a saying really. And that saying would be um, Keaty Roots, the voice of the voiceless. You know what I mean? I mean, Everything else is just a byproduct of of the whole uh, cause and journey, you know what I mean? Which is to educate, uplift, inspire. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Kitty, it's been a pleasure. So. Uh, I wish you all the best. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to spend the whole day just talking <laughs> technical stuff because before oh, the interview, good. we had some like, serious technical talks, but we tried to yeah, kind of... Yeah. But it's, it's great to talk to you about your life in music, definitely. Yeah, so, yeah. Thank, you, thank you. It's uh, it's so much to say, you know. As Bob Marley said, there's so, many, so much things to say, you know. Thanks for the opportunity to, to hear my voice and, and uh, talk about my journey. I think uh, for us to understand each other's journey, is important because then we realize that we're not alone. Sometimes we think we're alone in 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 the the, the, the trod that we trod in, you know. And then we realize that others have walked that same road. Thanks for joining me in this first ever episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Please subscribe to the show wherever you pick up your podcasts. Visit the website www.lifeindub.com. And feel free to email me at vibronics at gmail.com with comments and suggestions, anything about the show. So thanks again, and I'll see you all in two weeks' time for the next Life in Dub podcast.